0: This is what really brought home the idea of baking with herbs for me. Because I thought, taste good. Make the
1: herbs taste good. You're listening to Plant Love Radio, episode number 55. Welcome to Plant Love Radio, a place where you'll discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and resilient life Through the wonders of herbal medicine. I'm your host, Lana Camille, a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. You love my amazing guests, herbal teachers, clinicians, medicine makers, growers, and artists. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. I hope you're having a great week. Herbs and spices are common additives to cooking. But have you ever tried smuggling herbal remedies into your diet through your baking creations? My today's guest, Dina Ronaday, is here to share her tips and strategies for that with us. Dina is a trained dietitian, herbalist, and a podcaster. She began her career as a registered dietitian-nutritionist 28 years ago and has worked in various clinical settings and specialized in pediatric, neonatal, and critical care nutrition. Dina serves on the newsletter editorial team for the Integrative Nutritionist, the quarterly newsletter of the dietitians in the Integrative and Functional Medicine. I originally met Dina during my herbal training and recently reconnected with her. Currently, Dina counsels private clients blending nutrition with herbalism. Dina is a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild. She's also a recipe creator, blogger, and a podcaster, sharing her knowledge and expertise through her herbal bake shop and an herbal diary podcast. In today's conversation, we'll concentrate on flavors and why they're such an important aspect of introducing herbs into the diet of your friends and family. What are some of the dinas favorite herbs to incorporate into baking and cooking and how to substitute herbs well into your favorite recipes. For links mentioned in our conversation, please visit the show notes at plantloveradio.com/55. Enjoy Hello, Dina. How are you doing? Hello, Lana. So excited to have you. We reconnected again a little while ago. We met during our herbal training, and we will talk about this a little bit later. But right now, I just wanted to introduce you and to ask you to talk a little bit about yourself. You're a nutritionist. So I wanted to start there. How did that become your profession? Well,
0: I I don't have any typical nutrition stories, I sort of came about it a roundabout way. I always loved to cook. And even more than cook, I loved to read recipes and uh, and collect them. And I could spend days just going through food magazines and copying recipes and, and reading cookbooks like they were novels. And I, I did this as, as long as I can remember. But when it was time for me to go to college, I was feeling very influenced by the fact that I wanted to be like my dad. My mom didn't have a career. And as a woman, I wanted more for myself. And my dad was a businessman. So I went to college and majored in business. And after about the second semester, I I think even the first semester, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is so not for me and and I but I didn't have any where to go with it and you know now I feel like if if this was a long time ago but if if it had been now I would have thought to myself oh well I love cooking I love recipes maybe I would pursue that maybe I would go to culinary school but at that time culinary school wasn't like it is today and being a chef I don't really even think was much considered a profession. So that didn't even come into my radar. But what did happen was that I went to an open house in the health sciences department. And I met the most lovely nutrition professor there. And she convinced me to try nutrition as a career. So I transferred my major. And that's how I started out in nutrition. But I ended up not staying at that college, and even going to nursing school for a while, which again, turned out not to be at all for me. And and in the meantime, I moved from the Northeast to Florida, and I ended up going back to school and finishing my degree. So as when I came out of school, in my last clinical rotation, uh, to meet all the requirements to become a registered dietitian, I was at a very large hospital, and I got interested in critical care nutrition, nutrition support, feedings with, you know, IV and tubes, and and I also got very interested in pediatrics. So when I came out of school, I was very clinically focused and got a job in that hospital. Ended up working in the neonatal and inter- intensive care unit with premature babies. And I I really my career sort of just went full force into highly meticulously calculating feedings for preterm babies who it, it's a it's a well known fact that if they're if they're growing well, they're going to have a better medical outcome. So being a nutritionist in the neonatal intensive care unit was an important position. And I, I really loved the whole atmosphere of of it and, and the work that I was doing. But then I got married and got pregnant and I decided I didn't want to work full time. So I, I moved into the outpatient um, pediatric clinic that was associated with the hospital. And I was still working with the the premature babies, but now after they were discharged. And so I began to work more with their moms and they still had a lot of high calorie growing needs. And so I was working with them to, to make sure that their feedings were maximized. And at the same time, I was working with a lot of special needs children. So this gave me, this sort of brought me away from the very hospital-oriented clinical setting to the outpatient, more community-oriented nutrition perspective of really working with families.
1: That is wonderful. So how does someone who is working with uh, uh, two feedings and later with moms right. ends up rediscovering her passion for cooking and perhaps maybe herbs as well? Right. So great question. So as I mentioned,
0: when I was in the hospital, I was absolutely loving my work. And although when I moved into the clinic, I was loving working with the families, I sort of stopped loving my work because when I was in complete control of a feeding from an artificial method, whether it be an IV or a tube, It was much easier to make things work. But when you're dealing with people who are actually eating, I started to feel like I needed more to offer. And I struggled with this for years, actually. And I just kept getting worse and worse. And at the same time, I started to have my own nutrition. Digestive problems. And now I had three kids who were also having problems. And I mean, nothing serious, but issues. And I was really finding that all the education that I had, all the experience that I had, didn't feel like enough. So I started searching and thinking about other options. And this was in the, probably about like the mid nineties. So alternative medicine was really coming back into the forefront. And I was very interested in that. And I was thinking, maybe I have a place here. And I honestly did not know very much about herbalism or herbal medicine. And I just started searching for some kind of something some way to expand my education and I didn't know what that was. I had these three kids I in the meantime was planning a move from Florida to New Jersey in a very remote area of New Jersey, so I know that there knew that there was no colleges around me, so I started to look for online programs and that's when herbs fell into my lap because I came upon, and I don't know how, I was just left. I came upon the Center for Herbal Studies, which offers the full program online. And when I looked at that curriculum, it was like a dream come true. Everything that I could possibly imagine wanting to learn about was there in that curriculum. And it was something that I could manage doing a night once a week nighttime online program. So I signed up as fast as I could.
1: That That's and fabulous. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, the first class, I, I was in tears with how happy I was.
1: Wonderful. And so this is how we met. So we both took David Winston's program. What happened after that? I know that you have become a registered herbalist through the American Herbalist Guild. So you had to take some steps to accomplish that.
0: Yes. I did. You know, I, um, I the whole time that I was studying at the Center for Herbal Studies, I realized that the traditional, more conventional dietetics profession was quite different than the world of herbal medicine. And I always... Even though, uh, as I was going through it, I was think, feeling so much more passionate about herbalism. I never wanted to leave nutrition behind, and so it was always in the back of my mind: how am I going to mix the two? And I felt like, you know, the, the dietetics profession has has a bit of a, a problem because nutrition is something that overlaps with many other professions. Even in herbal medicine, I mean, David taught us from the start how important it is to look at someone's diet and and to clean that up before you even really look at herbal interventions. So, um, so this is the case with many other professions. For the dietitian, that becomes a boundary issue, and they and there's a lot of defensiveness, and. Um, Uh, there's a feeling among dietitians that we're the nutrition experts. And so they really, there's a lot of emphasis and focus on credentials. How many letters can you have after your name? And so I felt, this is, this is the reason why I felt that registration was important for me. Not because I feel like it makes me a better better herbalist because there are so many examples of amazing herbalists who aren't even interested in registration and it's not a requirement in the herbal profession but i felt like if i was ever going to be able to gain respect as an herbalist in the dietetics community i needed to have some kind of a credential so i luckily um was able to connect with Andrew Appello, who is one of the instructors in the Center for Herbal Studies. And he is the teacher of the traditional Chinese medicine units, as you know, an amazing teacher and an amazing herbalist. And he has a thriving practice in acupuncture, and he's also a registered nurse. So he agreed to take me on, and because you are required to have a mentor to become a registered herbalist, and I went there for three years—not not every day, but for three over three-year period—I went to his clinic and we worked together. And he allowed me to work with him um, with the clients to gain the clinical hours that you need. You need 400 clinical hours. So, um, and then there's a long application that you submit and. It took me a long time, but I'm very grateful that I did it. And I'm extremely grateful for the time that I had with Andrew. He taught me so much. He taught me, he took extra time with me to teach me the philosophies and principles behind traditional Chinese medicine and also Ayurveda, because he is well versed in that as well. And he is the one who really put the idea of culinary herbalism into my head because he was doing weekend classes at a local food market that he where he was teaching cooking. He was teaching how to cook with bitter melon or astragalus and I although I never went to his classes, he shared with me what he was doing and he really encouraged me, because he knew I had a nutrition background, that perhaps that would be something that I could also do. And around the same time, I heard an interview with Rosemary Gladstar. And everything she says is amazing. But one of the things that she said was that she talks a lot about cooking with herbs. And one of the things that she said was that she felt like culinary herbalism was an area of herbal medicine that had more potential than was being used. And I thought, oh, well, they say that if you're really looking for your place in a field, find the place that is, has room for growth. And so I thought, well, if Rosemary Gladstar thinks that there's room for growth in the area of culinary herbalism, then I want to fill
1: that or at least try to. That sounds awesome. When I explore your website, which is called the Herbal Bake Shop, you are clearly trying to integrate two fields. You often talk about baking, but also cooking and figuring out how to incorporate herbs. Oftentimes, you, you talk about spices, but they're not just spices. So there are a lot of medicinal herbs that you discuss. So I know you have three kids, and I know that figuring out how to feed your family has always been very important for you. But I want to kind of pick your brain on the idea of how to develop some of these strategies. And do you have herbs? Do you have spices that you think everyone should have in their kitchen?
0: I I do. So before I tell you, talk more about that. I have a story for you, please. Um, when I was probably maybe only like six months into the, the, the beginning studies of herbalism, I started to think, this would be good for my children. This would be good for that child. This would be good for that child. And I went full force into giving them herbs. It was a disaster. I mean, the, I did everything wrong the main thing that I did wrong was that I paid no attention to taste. I gave my children concoctions. And I mean, I obviously wasn't using a lot of high alcohol content tinctures, but I gave my son a a mustard poultice on his, an onion and mustard poultice on his chest where I mean, it worked, but he was like, oh, my God, this is the most disgusting thing in the world. My daughter, I gave her things to—all I mean, three of my children are very anti-herb now. They're so suspicious of anything that I give them. So this is what really brought home the idea of baking with herbs for me because I thought, taste good. Make the herbs taste good.
1: I love that. I was,
0: Yeah. So that was really where the herbal bake shop developed. And it's still a work in progress, I have to admit. Because one of the things that I realized as I started, I'm not a baker by training. So, you know, this is purely home baking. But one of the things that I realized is that, okay, I could make a chamomile cupcake. But does that do anything besides impart a little bit of chamomile flavor in the cupcake? Is there any med- thing medicinal about that? And how many herbs can you really just incorporate into the baking? I mean, you can't just take a cup of dried ginseng and root and mix it into a batter. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out like, well, how, you know, how can I make this work? So I came up with the, came around to the idea of listing out the er, herbs with best t- taste and making them into concentrated teas. And then anywhere that there's water in a recipe, I start, I searched frantically for baking recipes that had a cup of water or half a cup of water. So anywhere I would just substitute it, the, the, concentrated herbal tea into the recipe instead of the water. And what I came around to from that is that even though I was doing that, no, I still was not getting medicinal doses into anything that I was baking. However, I felt like it was a gateway. It was a way to open people up to using these herbs. So perhaps if you're making So, for example, you asked me about favorites. Linden flour is a favorite because it just tastes amazing. It tastes like honey. And it's so easy to incorporate into anything that you you would be baking with as a tea or even making it into a syrup or a honey infusion. And so that's an herb that you don't normally have in your kitchen. So I thought to myself, if I can even just introduce people to some of these different herbs that are also amazing in taste and do it through baking, then maybe they would also taste that tea or then they would become more comfortable or now they would have it in their home and they would start to be interested in Ha- what what it could be used for, what it could be helpful for. Um and and then that and as I said, that would be like a gateway to introducing more herbs. So just to answer your answer your question about favorites, I have a huge amount of favorites. I like how can you even pick? But as far as baking goes, taste really is a factor. So any of the herbs that have a little bit of sweetness to them or or mildly sour, usually you can work well either as a tea substituting that as honey or to make as a syrup and um there's there's just I an mean, endless possibility rose um holy basil lemon balm
1: linden flower chamomile i love that and it when you were talking about your kids and how they received your uh, initial experimentations, it actually made me think of my own initial experiment. So I've been teaching herbal medicine for pharmacy students for a number of years. I wanted the students to experiment and try their own herbs. And initially what I would do is I would look for things that were, I was still approaching it as a conventional practitioner, conventional healthcare practitioner. And I was thinking, well, what are some of the herbs that could be especially useful? And I still remember the case or the situation where one of my students ended up getting Kava Kava and uh, making it into the tea or decoction or whatever it was decoction at the time. And she was just re- reporting how much she disliked it. And of course, like if you start exploring recipes online and understand people that really know what they're doing, what they're adding how they're dealing with the taste you you recognize that even bitter or acrid or herbs that do not have the most pleasant taste you can you can alter the The sensation and the taste itself. But that also taught me a huge lesson that when you're teaching someone, you don't start with herbs that they will not receive and they will not enjoy. And so these days when we are doing experiments, it's the same herbs that you're mentioning, whether it is rose or holy basil or lemon balm or mint or all the uh, linden, of course, all the pleasant tasting ones. And I think that I think of it exactly the same way, that this is the gateway. If you like these, maybe you will try something else that might be a little bit more medicinal later on. But you definitely, you can't spring something on a a person that has never tried, you know, a strong-tasting herbal tea and really expect compliance or really expect, you know, them enjoying it and trying it again. So I really, really appreciate, I really appreciate that stories. So any other stories that, or any other lessons that the herbs in the kitchen have taught you?
0: Yeah, I do. I do. Another one related to my children. Um, so I, there was, again, this is while I was still in, in the first two years of study I started to experiment with astragalus and um, which is an herb that we of course learn is really an immunity booster. And, um, I don't know why, but I had this idea at the time that powdered herbs were less effective than, um, teas or tinctures. And, um, I also really had no experience with cooking with them beyond using your your normal spiced powder spice cabinet powder herbs. So but astragalus is a food herb and it has a very mild bean like flavor. And my oldest daughter was getting colds every 3 weeks and she was miserable with this. Uh, But she was also already very anti-herb. So I started, I, I bought some astragalus powder, and I started adding it to dinner every night. Whatever I could, spaghetti sauce, chili, soup, lentils, beans, even mashed potatoes, I just whatever I could I put in a teaspoon of the powder and lo and behold she stopped getting colds and I was a little bit shocked she didn't know that this was and she didn't even taste it really so we didn't really talk about it but David had a Q&A section at the beginning of every class so very sheepishly I typed in a question into the chat box I've been giving my daughter a teaspoon of astragalus powder mixed into sauces every night and she's not getting colds anymore is this a coincidence and he laughed and said of course that's not a coincidence and it really really taught me that there's great power in using herbs in the kitchen and People have been doing that forever. And we now in our society and culture don't really think about that. But um it, it got it really sparked my interest in looking back in time to when people were really using herbs naturally as part of their their diet, not even really thinking about uh, a line between food and herbal medicine. So this really got me interested in, and and this was particularly helpful to my nutrition heart. It got me interested in edible greens, um, herbal greens like dandelion greens or nettles, chickweed, even violet. I mean, things that are somewhat hard to get fresh, but are becoming more readily available in farmers markets. But, but these greens are so rich in minerals and, and can be used really in place uh, in any recipe in place of spinach. Um, and, and we have things growing around us that, you know, sometimes it can be a concern whether they're clean or not. But there, there are ways to just go out into your yard or grow a small pot of something that you could have, and that usually these are very hardy and easy, easy to grow. So I started experimenting with that too. And, and again, I mean, with my children, they're not the kind of kids who will eat a plate of greens, steamed greens. So I was making things like salsa verde or pesto or um, mixing it into risotto or um, just, you know, into a soup. And and I I started to really love using that and finding creative ways. And and also looking back in, in into history to see how people like I got very interested in old cookbooks
1: I love that. You really need to think about this creatively, but you also need to figure out how to substitute things well. Yes, that is the
0: absolute key, to not be afraid to be creative. That would be my suggestion to anyone who's thinking, "Hmm, I'm interested in this. You do not have to find the perfect recipe to use herbal whatever in your kitchen. Just use your own recipes and substitute the tea for the water or the different types of greens for the spinach or the medicinal mushrooms for white button mushrooms that are so common or make a, an herbal broth and use that instead of chicken stock or vegetable broth. And and these are all easy things to do.
1: A few years back, one of the herbalists was talking about making jams and jellies. I remember thinking, oh, blueberries and lavender, how fascinating. Or you're looking at peach jam that would have cardamom and that would have other spices that you typically, at least I typically, did not think of them together in a jam it's an opportunity for you to experiment, to create something new. And so I love the idea of using water, so using teas in place of water. Any other things like oils that you can recommend? Absolutely. With
0: the greens, making them into vinegar is an amazing way to incorporate them into... And, and these don't have to be fresh. You can, it's better even to make vinegars with dried herbs. But you, any herb that... You could infuse into a vinegar, could then be used a- as a salad dressing or anywhere that you would use vinegar. Oils the same way. I mean, I I spent a lot of time infusing olive oil with all kinds of of the good tasting herbs to make all of you know the olive oil cakes or the sky's the limit. Anywhere where you can infuse an herb, any menstruum, any liquid can then become part of your everyday cooking.
1: That is fabulous. So, You develop your website, but then a couple of years back, you decided to take it a step further. And so you started a podcast that is called An Herbal Diary. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about it. I found it not long ago, and I remember binge listening to every episode that I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And so some of your episodes are wonderful recipes with fabulous stories. And others go into Materia medica, and you really zero down. On one specific plant and really go through a variety of different resources. You also look at some specific topics. So I want you to talk a little bit about your podcast. What inspired you to begin? Let's let's begin with that.
0: Sure. Uh, well, I am an avid podcast listener. When I found them, I felt like I had opened a treasure chest. And so of course, I started to search for podcasts on herbal medicine and also cooking. And I found tons on cooking and food, and not a whole lot on herbal medicine. And the ones that I found were wonderful, but I had been really thinking to myself that the work that I was doing on my website. I, that I could really expand it a lot more. and And I had gotten advice when I first started the website that I should stay on brand, that I should just keep it to baking. And I was frustrated by this because I wanted to cook as well. And um, so the podcasting opened two doors for me. One, I felt like I could reach a different audience. and perhaps the audience that I was hoping to reach, the people, who were wondering, how can I bring herbalism into my life? Because there's so much information in the media about herbs, and it's such a popular subject now, but it's very confusing. Well, something kept coming to me. It it was a teaching from David um, where he talks about the three different levels of herbal medicine he talks about the clinical herbalist the community herbalist who is you know knowledgeable about nutri- about herbs and um, you know perhaps helping people in the community but then he also talks about the home herbalist and he even goes so far as to say that he has a dream that every mother and father and grandfather and friend will have Herbs in their home and be using them in daily life to support wellness and prevent illness and to treat minor ailments like colds, and so that was really inspirational for me because I felt like podcasting is such an intimate way to communicate with people. You know, you're in your their ears, and I wanted to be able to impart to anyone who listened you can do this. You can bring herbs into your home. And I also wanted to get away from, you know, back to my nutrition perspective of like having to be the expert, that um, you don't have to be an expert. What makes someone an expert anyway? Is it because you have years of education or you've read hundreds of clinical studies or is it because your whole life you've been out in the garden collecting herbs and using them as a part of necessity and then all the that's in between that? So I felt like I wanted to craft my podcast to be the mixture, as you mentioned, to sometimes actually be in my kitchen and to walk people through the steps of, all different kinds of things: making, making a tea, making a formula, uh, combining dried herbs into a formula, or making oils, making infusions, honeys, or even I haven't haven't baked yet on my podcast, but I plan on doing that. But I, I've made some broths or pesto. I've made, and those are my favorite episodes where I'm actually. They're probably the hardest ones to make, but they're also um, my favorites because I'm actually doing it. And I'm hoping very much that if um, people are not actually making it along with me, but they're realizing that I'm not doing anything that technical. I'm not doing anything that hard. And at the same time, I also really want to incorporate the beauty of all that herbs can offer. So that's why I, I have um, some episodes where I'm really dive, delving deep into the chemistry of them or the, you know, all the information that would be in a monograph. And, um, and, and I hope that the two combined can, can really increase the comfort level that people can have. With herbal medicine and really bringing them into their homes. You know, we live in this very supplement-oriented world where um, I think that a lot of times you think, uh, well, I, I want to take a herbal supplement. So I'll go to the store and buy a bottle of some formula that I find that looks like it will meet the needs that I, I'm looking to meet. I really respect the idea of having that supplement available when you need it, but mixing it in with more of these daily activities that can really help to increase our level of, of just general wellness, not necessarily treating anything specifically
1: there is a lot of wisdom in what you're saying. As a pharmacist, I started learning about herbs in their supplement form as well. And it took me some time to actually to become comfortable and recognize their beauty when you're actually making tea or putting it somehow incorporating it in your food and this is what I do and this is what I teach my students but I think there are a lot of safety guards in terms of when you're using them in their natural form if something tastes really 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 horrible your body is not going to allow you to to drink lots and lots and lots of that tea but if it's something really horrible encapsulated you can still bypass your body's defenses and you can still take a uh, a lot of something that could potentially be dangerous or could potentially be harmful. So taking them in their uh, native form, in their original form, you are allowing your body to work with the plant, to work with the herb. So I, I really, I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, so I absolutely agree. I, I also came, as I was describing, from that very supplement-oriented world myself and um, it really took me a long time to move away from that and um, think about cooking with herbs as as a primary way to use them um, I mean there's absolutely an important use for the supplements but again I, I I feel like there are so many people that are working on that and and practicing as clinical herbalists and i don't I think for myself, if I focus on the herbal home use, that that is a better fit for me as far as um, nutrition and herbalism combined. And, and I still love to make herbal formulas and tinctures and work with people um, on issues that they have. But I, I always love to incorporate something that is a little bit more hands-on for them as well.
1: I absolutely agree with you. So one of the questions that I often ask my guests is about their favorite herbal resources. And I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about yours, whether they are conferences or teachers or forums or books or anything that is really your go-to. Yeah, I
0: I have so many, <laughs> um, but I, I think a, a couple I'll point out, Well, I have two favorite herbal-focused cookbooks and two favorite cookbooks that are just cookbooks. The, my herbal favorite ones are Cammie McBride's An Herbal Kitchen and Healing Kitchen by um, Holly Bellabuono. And what I love about both of these is that there are so many ideas. And as, I, as we talked about before, It's not necessarily that you have to stick with the recipes in these books, but the ideas that you can come up with for your own, on your own, just from reading them are are really absolutely endless. And then the two cookbooks are, are older cookbooks. And one is by Patience Gray called Honey from a Weed. And she actually wrote this cookbook when she was living in the Mediterranean and very much living off the land. And so there's beautiful writing on wild edible greens and, and herbs and all the ways that she learned to incorporate them in her cooking. And in a similar fashion, Paula Wolfert, wrote a cookbook called Mediterranean Grains and Greens. It's one of her many cookbooks. But if you're looking for inspiration on how to use greens in your kitchen, that one is a treasure. I also completed the online course offered by Juliet Blackett Spore Called She has a school called the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine, And she offers several different online courses, but one of them is on herbal medicine making. And each module goes through step-by-step with videos and beautiful writing, all the different ways that you can prepare herbs in the kitchen. And she offers many, many recipes. And I refer back to that course all the time. it's, It's wonderful.
1: Thank you. This is really great. As we are coming to an end of this conversation, I wanted to ask you to share where our audience can find you, perhaps your site and maybe social media. And then the last question that I will ask you is to have some parting thoughts for us. Maybe the first step for someone to take for better integration of herbs and spices into their cooking or baking.
0: You can find me on my website, which is shop.com and also my podcast, which is called An Herbal Diary. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. I, I'm not wonderful on social media, but I do post from time to time, and in my email from the website. And as far as parting words, I'll go back to some of my frustrations as a nutrition professional, there's a feeling that, especially with with alternative therapies like herbal medicines, if there's not enough evidence-based research to support the use, then it's not necessarily something that should be used. It may not be safe. It may not be effective. It may not be cost-effective. And while evidence-based studies are extremely important, and it's so great, the amount of research is growing all the time on herbalism, I learned from one of the courses that I took on functional nutrition, the idea of N of 1 studies. And what that means is that N is the number of the person in the study, and 1 is there's one person in the study, and that one person is you. That takes me back to using herbs in the home, because I feel that the best way to, have, to gain that confidence in whether an herbal medicine is right for you, if it will have the effect that you're hoping that it will have, is to actually use it. And to study it with yourself in that amazing study of it and of one.
1: I love this. Thank you so much. Dina, it was such a pleasure to talk to you and to learn the wisdom that you are sharing with us. And once again, I enjoy your podcast so much and just hearing all the recipes and all the suggestions, they absolutely warm my heart. And so I'm so, so grateful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as well. And thank you for the
1: opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation with Dina Ranade. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Cami McBride and her wonderful introductory course guiding you step-by-step step on how to make delicious and nutritious herbal teas. Kami is a teacher of mine. I've taken her courses in the past and I absolutely love this particular one. It's called Herbal Tea Kickstart Guide. In this particular course, you learn everything from basics of herbal tea making to importance of proportions, ways of combining different flavors to create even more delicious and satisfying beverages, and various other uh, suggestions and ideas that help you to become a more confident tea maker. So I hope you will check it out. Head over to the show notes and find the link to the course under brought to you by section. Are you listening to Plant Love Radio for the first time? Please subscribe to the podcast to seamlessly get future episodes downloaded to your device. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to many amazing guests and topics. And of course, nothing says thank you better than sharing this show with a friend who might enjoy it and giving us a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. The music you hear in the introduction was written by a neighbor of mine, David Scholl, and is called Something About Cat. My deepest gratitude to Bill Gilligan for this opportunity to play it. Thanks again for being here today. I really appreciate you. Till the next time, thank you for loving plants and planting love.